Ah, good evening, traveler, and welcome to the Penumbra. Tonight's tale is Juno Steel and the Vanishing Act. What do you mean you haven't caught the thief? I can say it in different words if you like, but I'm guessing you know what I mean. Warner hired you, didn't he? He hired you to catch the thief and save my show! Hey, he- hold on. Now, that's a lot to put on one P.I., and besides, it's not even what Warner hired me to do. What? Rita? Super Secretary, activate! Remainder of payment to be issued upon successfully thwarting the theft of the Prismic Crystal Chimes. Note from Warner Jane, executive producer of Freedom and Chains. That's right, he did say thwarting, didn't he? That was weird. I don't see how you plan to thwart anything if you haven't caught the thief. Don't worry, Mix Dalton, your chimes are safe. I've got a plan. And that plan is... Good. Also, secret. What? Sorry, Mix Dalton, but if we let every layman in on our PI tricks of the trade, we'd be working ourselves out of a job. Next thing you know, everyone's going around peeing in their own eyes. That's a whole mess. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. Trust you? <laughs> well, whatever your secret plan is, detective, it had better work. This performance is the most important day of my career. My chance to bring freedom and chains to a popular audience. If it tanks, I tank. And with my creative career in shambles, I will have time. Yes, plenty of time to dedicate to making sure that you never have another peaceful day as long as you shall live. Do you understand me, detective? Uh, No, I lost you somewhere around shambles. You mind repeating that? Ow! Don't you worry about a thing, Mix Director. Mr. Steele's secret plans always work out. You'll see. It had better! So what's your secret plan, Mr. Steele? Don't know yet. I'm hoping to figure it out before the chimes get stolen. Yeah, okay, I figured. Lono is a city planet without a sky. And that means nightlife is the only life. 24 hours a day, it's dark space and bright stars. Nightclubs and streetlights, big shows and secret meetings. That's all for the benefit of the rich in Lono who get to live life like it's one long, unbroken night of partying. For everyone else, the people who keep those clubs running, who are trying to raise their families in a pitch-dark city where the party never stops, it's hell. My name's Juno Steele. I'm a private eye. And sometimes Lono reminds me of the city I left behind. The shine of neon off a rain puddle, the hot smell of ion exhaust mixed with the grease from kebab carts. But this isn't my city. I feel claustrophobic here, trapped by the narrow roads and the tall buildings and the forever dark sky. I'd spent hours before the performance of Freedom in Chains driving the streets of Lono with Rita and the Ruby, feeling homesick and regular sick. I hadn't gotten much sleep the night before. Nearly getting shot will do that to you. We didn't have time to sleep, because we had exactly one clue, and it pointed miles away in Lono's spherical city. Um, excuse me, is this the Finders Keepers pawn shop? <laughs> We're here to pick something up. Here's the ticket. It's definitely ours. Mr. Steele, you said it was down to the director of Freedom in Chains and those two actors, right? It's not totally down to them, but they're our safest guesses right now. Nobody's getting through to the Prisma Crystal Chimes without the key, and only three people have access to the chimes after it comes out of the box. First, 
Billy Dalton unlocks the box. Then Carrie Gold carries the chimes on stage. Finally, Clotilda Fairborough holds the chimes up during the show's climax. But how would they steal it? Depends on who it is. Billy could take it any time before the climax. Clotilda would just need to walk off with it. Carrie would have the hardest time, but maybe with some distraction. I'm not sure. Motive is what I'm struggling with here. What do you mean? Everybody here looks like they want to sabotage this show. The director's got it out for the producer. Clotilda's got it out for the director. Carrie Gold's performance is evidence enough. But all of them insist they want it to work out well, so I can't pin it all on sabotage necessarily. Maybe if one of them needed money, but... Was that... What the hell is that? Looks like a little golden thingy. Oh, it's got that hinge there, see? Maybe it's supposed to attach onto something? <clears throat> How much did you give for this thing, anyway? <clears throat> Damn. 800 creds? It must be real gold. That's enough for a gun. You think whoever shot you pawned this to buy the gun? That's the best case scenario. Worst case, they pawned this to buy something even worse that we haven't seen yet. I reclaimed the golden trinket with Warner's expense fund, and I had it with me in the theater hours later, with only minutes left before the show began. If I could figure out what the hell it was, I reasoned, I could probably figure out who had pawned it, and that would at least tell me who to suspect, but I didn't have many moves I could make. If I asked around about the gold thing the shooter might hear, no, I was on to him. And on top of that, the show was just about to start, and like most shows, there are about a hundred things going wrong. Have we pinned up that wardrobe issue yet? Where's my coffin? Because if you're not going to solve my problems, you might as well bring me my coffin! So what are we going to do, Mr. Steele? The only real advantage we'll have once the show's started is that everyone will be distracted, so I guess we make use of that. What does that mean? It means I'm going snooping, and you're staying here. What? Mr. Steele, you can't... You know snooping's my favorite part! Nope. I need you to stay here and watch the Prism Crystal Chimes. Don't let anyone near that box until the climax of the show, you get me? I get you, Mr. Steele. Just wait a second. If you're gonna go snooping, you should take this. It's a mini password cracker that can get into all kinds of comms and stuff. Rita? Isn't that illegal? We were pirates for like a year and a half, all right? Not gonna bring me on the snooping complaining about my cool password cracker. Thanks, Rita. And remember to turn your comms off. This is the theater. Moving, the show's about to start. Hello? Anybody here? All right, move quick, Steel. You remember how to do this. As a PI, being a nosy pest is sort of your bread and butter. That's half of investigation, really. Being comfortable with sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. So my plan was to stick my nose in the office of Billy Dalton in the dressing rooms of Clotilde Fairborough and Carrie Gold. Billy must have been in residence at the theater for a while because the clutter in their office was something else. Books and scripts stood in neat piles on the floor, which left only little paths of free ground to walk on. The walls were lined with photos of Billy shaking hands with a who's who of big-name actors and producers, faces I recognized from Earth Theater mega-hits and even a few big stream stars. The photos were decades old, though, without many new ones to supplement the years between. If Billy Dalton had a star, it had definitely fallen by now. 
I found Billy's column stashed in their desk, so I clicked Rita's password cracker into it and went digging through their messages. I learned two things. First, Warner Jane was the most recent of a long, long string of sponsors Billy had gone through. Second, apparently Warner hadn't talked to any of the other sponsors because none of them were very happy with Billy Dalton. Ticket sales were consistent, yeah, but consistently bad. And big promises about the artistic event of the year making back what the sponsors paid weren't just broken, they were shattered. More evidence that Billy's big shot days were behind them, and evidence that a lot of money could have helped them out a whole lot. Clotilda Fairborough's dressing room was next. I could confirm what she'd ranted to Billy the day before about working together forever. She'd been in this dressing room long enough to convert it into a kind of a lair of her own, with posters and playbills tacked up on just about every inch of the wall. I recognized a bunch of the shows from Billy's records, but I noticed Clotilda was rarely in the top slot. She'd been playing serial second banana for a long, long time. A look into her comms showed me she was pretty good at what she did, though. She kept a folder with her acting awards, and there were more than a few of them. For plays I'd never heard of, given by organizations I haven't heard of either. Accolades don't always translate to success, especially when success means cash. You can't eat good reviews, you have to print them out first, and paper costs grads. There were a dozen motives I could have put on Billy Dalton and Clotilda Fairborough, and they'd fit well enough to stick. Both seemed like they needed cash, both had a bone to pick with someone in charge of the production. Hell, I'd bet both could have done it together just to spite Carrie Gold, but something told me that starving artists with a few bones to pick weren't uncommon on Lono or anywhere else. That just left Carrie Gold. And if I was hoping for something decisive there, well, I guess I could just keep hoping. Because Carrie's dressing room was empty. Just the costumes she'd be changing into. Hell, I couldn't even find Carrie's comms, and that didn't make any sense. She was playing the murder queen of some ancient dungeon. She was really going to bring her comms on stage with her? I was puzzling through that one when the door opened behind me. Oh, Juno. What are you doing in my dressing room? Earlier I said that half of investigation is sticking your nose where it doesn't belong, and that's true. The other half is having something really smart to say ready when you get caught. What are you doing in your dressing room? My costume change. Shh! Did you just shush me? What are you doing in my dressing room? listen. I thought I saw someone come in here. The thief? Why would he come into my dressing room? The criminal mind is full of twists and turns, Miss Gold. We may never fully understand it, but I'd suggest you get your things and go, in case the thief really is here. Oh, of course. I'll just... Right, right away, right away. Carrie rushed in like a tornado with places to be, kicking off one pair of shoes, slipping on another, and grabbing a bagged costume from the rack in the back. Then she was gone, with only a significant amount of evidence to show that she'd ever been there. I checked what she'd put on the dressing table first. It was her comms. She'd brought her comms on stage, and it wasn't even on silent. God, maybe Billy Dalton was right. The stage and Carrie Gold really were allergic to each other. But I grabbed Carrie's comms and jammed Rita's password cracker into it. It didn't take me long to find what I needed to see, either. It had been the last thing that Carrie was looking at on her own comms. It was an insurance policy on the Prisma Crystal Chimes, one that specifically paid out in case of damage, destruction, or theft. I 
I could see them from down the hall. Carrie had changed into her new costume, a flowing white dress held together by golden clasps, just like the thing I picked up from the pawn shop. Carrie Gold had shot at me the night before. She tried to take me out to make it easier to steal those Prisma Crystal chimes and cash in on the insurance policy. There was something in her hands. The chimes. She was about to walk on stage with them, which meant we were already at the climax of freedom in chains. If what the calling card said was true, those chimes were going to disappear any minute now. And they were in the hands of my prime suspect. I couldn't let her get away. That's the only thing I was thinking as I chased her down. Where are you going? Detective, I'm warning you! And ran straight on stage. Like I said, it was the only thing I was thinking. Perfectly. Beautiful. Um, can I help you? Uh, uh, uh... Clotilda, ever a professional, was ready to cover for anything that went wrong in this production. Including Juno Steele. Why? It's the, um, investigator. Uh, yes, that's right. I am the investigator. And I am here to bring your crimes to light, Baroness. Crimes? What crimes? Billy, this is, this isn't in the script. Please, Baroness, let the investigator speak. If you're going to make us do this wrong, detective, at least make it entertaining. Got it. I believe, Baroness, that it was your intention to, um... Thieverize yon shining chimes. <laughs> Me? Steal my own chimes? Why would I do such a thing? Those are not your chimes, Baroness. I created them myself. Nor have we established that they are chimes, but instead a quaint device by which a metaphor for the punishingly iterative process of artistic Oh, creation. can it, freedom! Well, investigator, where is your proof? Mine provocation is nigh. Um, presently the evidence. Oh, what the hell? It's this clasp. I have never seen that clasp in my life. But Baroness, your gown is covered in them. Except here, where one is missing. Exactly, uh freedom, because you see, last night I was guarding these, um, dungeons when, from out of the shadows, I was attacked. Yeah, that's right, attacked, and my attacker dropped a pawn shop ticket, which led me to this clasp, a golden clasp from your own gown, Baroness. You were my mysterious attacker last night, and with me out of the way, you planned to make your own chimes disappear so that you could collect the insurance money. Fine. I admit it. I did shoot at you last night. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Baroness! I could not have predicted such a shocking development. But I never planned to steal my own chimes. Why would I do that when another thief had already offered to do it for me? Another thief? My, this is a lot of characters. Are we certain that it wasn't just the one thief? 
so that the investigator can finish his business and leave. Then you weren't going to seal the chimes. Why would I? I just needed them to go away. And somebody else had already offered to do that for me. I was losing the plot, and so was the audience. I knew my case had some holes in it, but it never occurred to me that the shooter and the thief could be two different people. Rusty, I thought. I was rusty, and letting my assumptions drive my reasoning. Clotilda Fairbrough didn't give a damn about who was trying to steal the chimes, though, and neither did the audience. Our impromptu detective story had entertained them for a minute, but now they were just confused. And Clotilda was ready to get the show back on the rails, so she took the first opportunity she could find as forcefully as she could. Stealing my own chimes, that's ridiculous. For the last time, Baroness, I created those chimes myself. Now give me my freedom! Claudia, I'm a little busy. Give me my freedom and give me those chimes. <laughs> Claudia! This is my creation, Baroness. It has no flaws. Give it to me and look at it. Really look! Clotilda held the Prisma Crystal Chimes high in the air. If the thief was really going to take them to the climax of the play, this was the moment. But nothing happened. That was the problem, actually. Nothing happened. The laser light show that was supposed to refract through the chimes didn't start up. Something in my stomach fell. And whatever pit it fell into must have been deep, because it'd keep on falling for hours and hours and hours. I said... Look at it! Really look! What is happening? I have to go. I mean, exit! Stage right! Mrs. Steele! Where are you going, Mrs. Steele? I ran. I knew where I was going, and I knew it was probably too late, but I ran anyway. I should have seen this coming. I was rusty, and I should have seen this coming. The calling card. All of it. It, it had just been misdirection. A distraction to get us looking at the Prisma Crystal Chimes when we should have been looking at the other priceless treasure in that theater. The tech booth door was open when I got there. Someone was knocked out against the wall. The tech who was supposed to be operating this brainwave reading machine, I guess, but they weren't my biggest concern just then, because he was there. Standing by an open window, a strange, crackling pair of goggles in his hands. Peter Nureyev. And seeing him again. Come on, how do you describe it? All I'd wanted for months in some secret, screaming part of me was to see his face again, his silhouette, the way he held himself so light on his feet that he might float away. And now that he was here, now that I could see him, I couldn't move a goddamn muscle. 
It was like my heart was the only part of me that worked, and it was working overtime, beating hard enough to rattle my bones and loud enough that I could barely hear him when he spoke. Why are you here, Juno? And then came the rest of the feelings, crashing into me in a breakneck dive bomb, the pain, anger, fear, starting somewhere just below my stomach and exploding shrapnel thoughts up through me. What if this was the last time I ever saw him? What if I was wrong and he really didn't ever want to see me again? What if this was all a terrible mistake? But his eyes, his face, I knew him. And I knew I had to push just a little or I would spend the rest of my life wondering what would have happened if I had. Well, why am I here? I track you down halfway across the galaxy and that's all you have to say to me? Why am I here? I asked you not to follow me. I would have thought you of all people would understand that sometimes your business with a person just isn't over yet. And yet my business is certainly over with you. You don't mean that. Who are you to tell me what I do and do not mean? I'm the man you love, damn it. I'm the man who loves you back. Listen, I'm not going to dog you forever. If you don't... If you really never want to see me again, truly, then... Say it. Say what? Say you don't love me. Say you never want to see me again. You do that, Nureyev, and you'll see you're not the only guy who can disappear. You'll never see me again. Once you do this, there's no going back. No regrets in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Nothing. But if you can want me gone and ask for it, knowing all that, I've got no right to bother you. We never met. Can you? You think yourself very clever. Cleverest moron there ever was. You think you know me, the nameless thief. You presume, just because I've told you my real name and let you peruse a few carefully curated passages of my life story, that you have access to a real me that nobody else does. Is that right? This isn't going to work, Nureyev. That journal was true. I know it was. (laughs) How could you possibly? Because I know you. You know what I've shown you. Nothing more. Can't help but notice you haven't said it yet. (laughs) I don't need to play your game. If you don't care, it'd be really easy to. I never want to see you again. Like that. (laughs) Childish. Once you let somebody know you, Nureyev, there is no going back. They've got your number. Chances are you got theirs, too. I let you know who I am because I love you, and I'm scared as hell about what that means. But at least I can admit it, goddammit. There's no point in naming that which can never be, Juno. Why do you have to make this so damned difficult? I've made it pretty easy, I think. Just a couple of words. That's it. You know what I mean. Do you think this is easy for me? Do you think I enjoy this? No. I don't, but you don't have to do this either. I don't want to stop you. I want to help you. Ah! Act tough about it all you want. But you know I'm telling the truth, and I know you don't want to run away from me either. This is killing both of us, so why don't we just talk? Juno. For just a second, I'd open a line to him. I saw it in his face, in the brief moment when he could bring his eyes to meet my own. We could have run to each other then, tangled together and wept it all out. We were so close. He blinked, 
A hardness entered his eyes, and suddenly we were so far away again. You're going to get yourself hurt if you keep following me like this. Is that a threat? It's a warning. My creditors will not tolerate very many interruptions. And if you destroy the progress I've made in the years I've been paying them, truly, I will never forgive you. Do you understand me? But it's a con, Nureyev. You've pulled enough cons to know that. You're being tricked into paying your life out for something you don't even know is going to work. You You're... think I don't know that? I am fighting for the chance at paying Slip back for what he's done for me. That is all. The chance? Your life is worth a hell of a lot more than a chance. That is how much I owe him. Perhaps I am being manipulated. The project to bring Slip back is even possible. Well, there's only one person who may have known that for sure, and he isn't involved anymore. But I have to try, Juno. I have to try. Farewell. No, Nureyev, please, we can talk this out. Nureyev! Nureyev! I went to the window to find him, but by the time I got there, he was gone. I couldn't let it go, though, or maybe I couldn't let him go. Even though I knew it was pointless, even though I knew he would be gone, I ran for the door. Disaster. Who do you think you are, Detective? Where do you get off storming into my production and... I slammed the door in Billy Dalton's face and kept running. The streets were full of people, elbow to elbow, but I rammed through them looking for anybody who could have been him. This couldn't be the last time I ever saw him, I thought, not until he said those words to me point blank. I never want to see you again. So I ran through the streets of Lono looking for him. I was ready to run forever if I had to. find me anyway. Lona's a big city. I didn't find you. The ruby did. It did? Ruby? How? I didn't think I'd ever get used to the ruby shooting emotions into my brain. But this time they were at least human emotions. I could tell because they were my own emotions. Exactly the panic yearning and despair I'd felt as I was running the streets of Lono looking for Nureyev. Ruby tried to show me something else, too. Something that hadn't made sense to me the first time the Ruby tried explaining it. I thought it was a reaching feeling, stretching out to try and touch something, but touch wasn't quite it. It was like getting a scent in your nose and trying to follow it to its source, like a hound tracking something. The Ruby Seven could smell our states of mind, track us down based on them. Hell, that was probably why the mind-reading Martian junk in my blood let me talk to it. I tried to keep the thrill of hope tamped down in my chest, but I couldn't keep the words down, too. Mrs. Steele, are you all right? 
Ruby, can you pull that trick again? Can you figure out where he is right now? What do you mean you can't? You did it before, didn't you? Another brain payload from the Ruby. At first there was a feeling, clean and clear, of loss, almost mourning. That's what Nereyev had been feeling when he left me, but then the feelings changed, shifted to something cold and resolute, something the Ruby wasn't familiar with. And all around us, all these people were feeling their own emotions, too, filling the air with the heavy scent of their feelings. I couldn't find the Nereyev smell anymore, couldn't place it in the crowd. He hadn't meant to, but by closing himself off from how he felt, Nereyev had covered his tracks. The scent had gone cold. Ruby, have you ever done this before? Sniffed out how we're feeling and not told us? It tried to close me off from what it was thinking, but it was too late. The Ruby had opened a channel between the two of us, and it went both ways. I felt a flash of fear, then another, then another, six flashes in total. I felt the Cure Mother Prime nearby, thinking its strange, alien thoughts. Everyone in the Orenko family was in trouble. The Ruby Seven was panicking. It didn't know what to do, so it did the only thing it could think of. It asked for help. It sent a distress signal echoing out into space for light years around. The distress signal. The one Director W had told me one of our crew sent out to get Dark Matters on our trail. She hadn't been lying, but she'd been hiding something, too. There was no betrayal. The Ruby Seven had sent out the distress signal because it was trying to help. Because it loved us and because it didn't know any better. For a minute, I sat on that. Let it roll around in my head for a while. Was that what I was doing with Nereyev? Offering help, insisting on help when really it would only get in the way? I don't know how long I sat there, putting the pieces together, but Rita was giving me a strange look when I came out of it. So, Mrs. Steele, what do we do now? Well, Rita, we're P.I.'s again. Just off the case, and that means there's only one thing to do. We get paid. But we couldn't stop the thief. Yeah, we protected the chimes. That was our job. P.I. can't get paid on a technicality, they'll never get paid at all. And what about Mr. Nereyev? He said something to me that I'm still chewing on, but it's a start. Only one person knows if the slip project will work. We just have to find that person. We can't rely on the ruby for this one, Rita. It'll have to be good old-fashioned detective work that finds him now. But I'll find you, Nereyev. I know I will. If you've enjoyed this tale, please consider supporting The Penumbra. You can do so by buying our merchandise. Just search for The Penumbra Podcast on dftba.com to find posters, pins, apparel, soundtracks, and recordings of our live shows. You can also make a one-time donation to The Penumbra via PayPal at The Penumbra Podcast. Or, if you'd like to keep our stories running in the long term, we hope you will support us on Patreon. 
Every dollar helps. At just $4 per episode or higher, you will receive ad-free episodes two days before the public release. At the $7 level, you will gain access to behind-the-scenes content and production scripts. And at the $10 level, you will receive access to commentary tracks like this one from actors Stephanie Jean Toussaint and Sarah Morin and co-creators Harley Takagi Kaner and Kevin Vibert. You know, yeah. back in the day, no one went to school. They all just no. did it, you know? Yeah. What's um, that quote? And... Oh, have you ever just tried acting? Just... <laughs> yes. so, yeah. Sometimes I say yes. that to myself. I'm like, Consider why don't just, just acting it? Just act. Just act yeah. it. Could you, you just pretend to... that this You're thing fine. that is not true is in fact true? <laughs> and fact real. go yeah. from there. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> we would like to give thanks to all who support us on Patreon, but especially to Gay Heaven. A Raccoon with Heelys, The Emerald Hate, This Podcast, Haha, Tony in The Case of the Final Season, Mr. Me, Myself, and I, Ren, Cody Spaghetti, Kira, Nito Watts, Jack M. Cohen, Girl in the Midnight Sky, the patron named Thank You Penumbra Team for your amazing work, Braylon, Hannah and Leah's Adventures in Gender Shenanigans, The Lady Guinevere in the Final Season, Adrienne S., Sydney has been taken over. Shelly Schrode, Kevin, please say butts on live recording, thanks. Jammy, Nelson, Osipit, Evit Kani, Benjamin Fisher, SCP Chloe, Desert Willow Loves TPP's Creator Collective, Theo Alex Dean, Nate Gibson, June Gishoku, Skyfire Forever, Allison Hull, Stryker Flynn, Emily B, Liv Allen, Alice the Time Lord, Aaron, In Memory of Spiral Opal, Eden the Gay Bookworm, Michael David Smith, Guess Who Now Murmurs Oh St. Damien Every Time Something Mildly Distressing Happens, Kiki's Podcast Patronage Service, Caroline Seidman, Radius Elna, Rain and Pippin from the Glen Dimension, Karen ZH, Season 5 Let's Go, Genetic, Minchowski, and Jamie Gunter for their incredibly generous contributions per episode. Thank you. This tale, Juno Steele and the Vanishing Act, was told by the following people. Joshua Elon as Juno Steele. Kate Jones as Rita. Amanda Egbu as Billy Dalton. Sarah Morin as Carrie Gold. Stephanie Jean Toussaint as Clotilda Fairborough. And Noah Symes as Peter Nureyev. The Penumbra is created and produced by Harley Takagi Hainer and Kevin Vibrant. If you wish to know more about the full production team, you can read about them in the show notes of this episode. I'm afraid that is our time for today, dear traveler. We hope you will join us again soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.